0: Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins breaking down all things Seahawks.
1: Seahawks and 49ers coming up in week 13 of the NFL season. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com. Seahawks coming off that resounding victory in Charlotte last week, putting themselves in the driver's seat for a possible NFC wildcard berth. Four of the final five games will be at home. The only remaining road game will be down in San Francisco. This week, they face a struggling 49ers team, Perkins, and though the matchups on the field don't have a ton of gleam, uh, there is one storyline that takes precedence, and it's the return of Richard Sherman.
0: Oh, yeah, and he is making his return known. For sure. I mean, that's really, you're right, because the 49ers are terrible. Uh, It's hard to imagine this game being ultra competitive. You never know. It is football and, uh, you know, you still have to play the game. But ultimately, when you look at at the way this lines up, it lines up to be a a Seattle win, you would think. So Richard Sherman coming back into town is definitely the storyline. And he is definitely creating a little bit of animosity yeah. on his way back in. He is not shying away from comments that he has made uh, he made when he left. Well let's you know think about what Richard Sherman meant to the Seattle Seahawks
1: organization. as the fifth round draft pick all the way back in 2011, he was a receiver at Stanford, converted to a defensive back and he was one of the main figures you could argue the main figure on the Seattle Seahawk defense that won him a Super Bowl, that won him an NFC championship. And it really felt like he always gave his all physically and emotionally to the cause of the Seattle Seahawks, even though at times it would almost look so bad optically that it would seem to be their detriment, whether it's tirades on the sidelines, whether it's things that he's saying pregame or postgame, but that's just been who he is this whole time. But if you think about Richard Sherman to the Seahawks, you're talking about one of the greatest players in franchise history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really is, and one of the most vocal players, a guy that, you know, until things started to fall apart a little bit, I mean, was always standing up for teammates, was always standing up for, <clears throat> you know, and, and a guy that, he was like your guy, right? Like, Richard Sherman is is the guy that when he's on your team, you love him. When he's not on your team, you hate him. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fan base was able to come together, and I, I feel like it brought, like, the whole community, the whole Seahawks community closer after the Richard Sherman Incident and I use that term very loosely with the postgame interview with Aaron Andrews, which is what really like shot him up, right? Like he'd always been a, a trash talker and we remember the Tom Brady game in Seattle in 2012 when you mad bro you and mad all bro. that and that kind of, you know, raised the bar. But obviously after the tip we saw a next level right and, and the, the outrage of him showing emotion after the game. And it I feel like it really helped bring the fan base even closer together because we were all willing to back up and surround this guy that was everyone else was like just completely hated. Yeah. And we were all like, no, he's our guy. Richard Sherman is our guy. This is our team. Love him or hate him. You don't like that they're physical. You don't like that they talk trash. You don't like that they turn you over and hit you hard every single game. These are our guys. And Richard Sherman helped weld us together as a franchise, and I include the fans in that.
1: His attitude really did have an effect on the f- personality of the fan base. You know, it's funny. Like, I remember the Seahawks of the mid-2000s going to the Super Bowl in 05. The personality of the fan base was one of, hey, the national media is not paying enough attention to us. I'll always remember Chris Berman's joke that, and I've said this before, that the Seahawks were being blocked by Mount Rainier. That's why nobody could see him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just kind of looking and almost begging for that national attention when they were a good team. Seems like they would never get it. Then they became a contender, at least a playoff contender. In 2012, Richard Sherman has the moment with Tom Brady, and now the default national narrative toward the Seahawks is actually one more of you know, animosity. At least it got that way over time. It was one of, wow, well, we don't like the Seahawks because we don't like Richard Sherman. I think, to your point, that did galvanize the fan base to like, Okay, you don't like us. We're too tough. We're too physical. We've bend the rules. You think we cheat, Beat us. See what happens. And that, I think, is something a Seahawk franchise never had for its personality
0: before, and in it's large part because of him. The Seahawks were a lot like the dolphins are now. like I don't I don't know how else to describe it, but like a very benign team that mm. even when they were good. Like, not a ton of conversation about him. Like, obviously, Dan Marino, that era. But I'm talking about after that. Like, like there was never, like, you tell someone you're a Seahawks fan, you know, in the early 2000s and then mid-2000s. Like, oh, okay. And then 2012 comes around, and after that game and Tom Brady and everything. You know, and then he's talking trash to Rivas Island, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that. And they're like, oh, you're a Seahawks fan. Oh, since 2012. Or, oh, God, I hate those guys, you know? And it's so weird. The narrative flips. And you're right. From as a fan base, you feel disrespected because no one cared about the 13 and three Seahawks because the NFC was soft in the mid 2000s. And that's why they were able to get to the Super Bowl. And clearly, they couldn't even beat the Steelers, who were a wild card team that year. You a know? Six seed. So, you know, it goes from that to what we felt like as a fan base, or at least this is how I felt, to no respect. But instead, to like immediate just vitriol mm-hmm. towards the franchise, that was the jump. It's like we went from some like wrestling figure that that uh, you know plays a lot of like your opening bouts to like heel, like <laughs> instantly. And I think as a fan base, it did bring us together. And Richard Sherman was a, a big reason for that. You had Cam Chancellor, who didn't talk a lot of trash but spoke with his hits. You had Earl Thomas, who did the same thing. You had quiet Bobby Wagner. You had Russell Wilson, who was really kind of your beacon that did bring in fans from all across the country and world, for that matter, with his personality. And then you had Richard Sherman, who really brought in that disdain mm-hmm. for the franchise. And the
1: defensive back partnership with him and Browner was, when they were playing at their peak, it was incredible to watch. Press man yeah. on both sides. was Super some, physical. Yeah. PED allegations. Yeah, that's right. I mean well, I guess there's more
0: Adderall for Sherm, but yeah. you know, PEDs for Browner. And then, you know, the pract remember the practice violations that Seattle had, like yep. two years in a row. Yep. Uh and, did- and then, you know,
1: you think about the animosity from the Golden Tate fail Mary. Um, even fans that don't like Russell Wilson because of his personality, there are those out there too. The, you know, fans around Marshawn Lynch. There was just so many different lightning rods or reaction points on the Seahawks teams of 2012, 2013, and 2014.
0: Well, and, and Golden Tate was, if he would have been in Seattle longer, was Richard Sherman Light for the offense, right? You had the fail Mary and the celebration that he had afterwards. Then the game against the Rams with the uh, talking signal as he's running into the end zone, staring yep. back at the player behind him. That rubbed a lot football. of people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, Marshawn doesn't talk to the media, and that creates a whole thing around him. I mean, you're right. There were a lot of personalities, but I feel like Richard Sherman almost gave the rest of the team freedom to 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 feel that they could act the way that they wanted to. Mm. It starts with, with Pete Carroll and the coaching staff allowing that culture. Fostering it. Yeah, I mean, and they wanted that. They wanted players to be themselves, and eventually it, it bit them in the butt a little bit here last season, but for a long time, obviously, it had helped get them to a Super Bowl. But I think Richard Sherman, you know, like when you're like, with a, you're in a movie theater and it's a comedy, and like, when people start laughing, it becomes infectious, you know, and everyone starts laughing. That's a great point. I feel like Richard <laughs> Sherman was that catalyst for Seattle that yeah. he was outspoken. He was young. He was good. He was really good, but like, he hadn't been good for very long. But, but what makes it all work? The team winning.
1: Yes. You know, and it's, it's, I think it's all encapsulated with his iconic play in the NFC Championship game on Crabtree like if he doesn't have that moment, I don't think he has the legacy that he that was built up to that and he certainly doesn't have the legacy
0: that was after that as well. Question for you. Something that's been debated a little bit this week on on the Twitter sphere. Is the tip the most iconic Seahawks moment? Yes. A lot of people say Beast Quake, but to me, the the game wasn't big enough. The tip gets you to the Super Bowl where you win.
1: Yes. I think when you talk about what is the most iconic moment, that has to be a quick answer. That's the definition of an icon. You know, what? what is it? Now, if there's multiple answers that come right away from multiple spots, I'd admit that, but you're completely right. It, it, you know, Beastquake was an exceptional moment. It might be on the top five of most iconic Seahawks moments, which would be a great segment to do. It's,
0: I think it's my favorite but, moment, if that yeah, it makes might sense. Be, yeah,
1: it might be a favorite moment because you think about – The player, you know, at the central figure of the iconic moment and you think about the context, but that team was, you know, seven and nine division winner. This was a 13 and three NFC one seed that won the franchise's only Super Bowl because of that play. Now, I think the way that the fans still feel about Marshawn Lynch, even post retirement return to Oakland is much more positive than the way a lot of fans still remember Richard Sherman because of the way that he left. And let's talk about the way that he left for a moment. He, there was some sliding in terms of the actual play that he was delivering on the field. Some, but not much. Yeah, he was still very good. I think he was still a very good cornerback. This wasn't like a Darrell Rivas situation where he was on the field and getting torched all the time. This was a situation where he's still a very good corner in a, in a very good defense. And then he has the injury on Thursday Night Football to his Achilles that was a fluke injury on a on a on just a inside route. On a nightmarish night down there in Arizona, where we've had a few. And little did we know at that point that that would be the last play of a Seattle Seahawks career. There was one more year left on his contract. They cut him. There was minimal dead money to absorb. Coming off the Achilles, we defended the move. It just was hard emotionally for probably Sherman John and Pete, but even for the fan base as well. At that point, Perkins, this is before he's made any decision on free agency or anything like that. At that point, I think there was just an, a feeling of, of sadness. Really, this is the way that it has to end with Sherm. That's that's tough.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I was still a little bit waffling on whether or not they should have gotten rid of him. Because I wasn't convinced. If Richard Sherman has proven anything in his career, it's that he can overcome odds, right? Like, think about, you know, growing up where he grew up, the part of, you know, town that he grew up in getting to Stanford, having to switch positions, and having a coach that he doesn't think really believed in him, right? And In uh, John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, that one. Uh, (laughs) And so I agree with you. Like, it was tough, and you understood why they made the decision. But I wasn't convinced that he was necessarily, quote-unquote, done, if that makes sense. But he probably wasn't. You know, they needed – they had a lot of holes to fill, and they needed that money for that. But I don't think that there was – the fan base in general didn't seem to feel animosity towards him at that moment, right? Like, it was like, oh, man, end of an era. I don't think that would – yeah, that wouldn't have been
1: um, understood at all. Not animosity. It wasn't his fault. He gave everything he had. Now, when free agency rolled around and you started hearing rumblings that he was going to represent himself and that he had a chip on his shoulder and, you know, he was going to – that he was the one that had offense that the Seahawks cut him, though. That was the thing. Oh, yeah. He was the one that was offended. Yeah. And I think the fans, you know, are starting to be like, man, look, you got to understand. But, like, he's a professional athlete. He gets to feel the way that he wants and the way that best motivates him. You know, n- not worrying about what's truly just or right from a fan's perspective, but what works for him. And for him, it was to take offense that the Seahawks let him go. It's hardly the first player to do that. But then I feel like he made it his priority to stick it back to Seattle. And he did that by receiving requests from John Lynch and the 49ers, by meeting with them, by signing a deal with a ton of incentives and, you know, benchmarks to try to get to from a playing time and health standpoint in order to reach him. But he got himself a deal representing himself coming off an Achilles injury. That is not easy to do, but he does it. Despite
0: the Seahawks, there's no question they did despite Seattle. Well, yeah, and and, I mean, he signs with the franchise that had been Seattle's biggest rival throughout this era. His biggest rival. His biggest rival. I know, and I mean, it's the most Richard Sherman thing to do, and you're right, him taking offense. Like, I just, I guess there are a lot of people surprised about that. Why would you be surprised knowing the type of person Richard Sherman is? Like, that is who he is. He believes in himself 150%, and he doesn't give a damn if you do or not because he knows in his mind that he is one of the top players in the NFL. He is going to bounce back from this injury, and he's going to be great again, right? Like, that is his mindset, and that is what brought him to the level that made him probably a Hall of Famer at some point. And for him to be kind of that level of petty and sign with – Seattle's biggest rival was really difficult, I think, for a lot of people to reconcile in their mm-hmm. minds. But it's not shocking. I mean, this is Richard. He's a heel. He's a wrestling heel. And he wants to be hated to a certain extent, I think. I really do think that. That he thrives off of that type of atmosphere and it motivates him. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think he's looking for that. Um, and he, he and gets good a, at it. He kind of gets a twofer there, too, right? Because... Now the fan base that used to hate him, like really hate him, especially after the tip, my God, talks trash about Michael Crabtree right afterwards, tries to do the handshake, remember that, after the game. He then forces them to cheer for him and puts Seahawks fans in a corner and makes puts them in the uncomfortable position of, how do I feel about Richard Sherman now that he signed for our biggest rival? Well when you talk about Richard Sherman and his
1: relationship with the franchise, it makes me particularly intrigued to what's going to happen when he retires. You know, if there's a Hall of Fame question around him, well, whose hat does he wear in? Because, I mean, the Seahawks are his, are his, the team everybody recognizes him with, and newsflash, he's not going to win anything of significance in San Francisco during the time he's there. Maybe, unless Jimmy Garoppolo catches lightning in a bottle when he comes back. But, you know... I'm interested to see when the time is over for Sherman. Does the relationship start to thaw out with Seattle since he's not playing and having to compete against him? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, i I don't know. it, it It's kind of one of those things. When you said that was it, Richard Sherman's last play as a seahawk, i I immediately went to, well, maybe he like signs when he's like, you know thirty five for a season, doesn't really play, but he's like a veteran. But, man, it's hard to see that happening because there is that animosity Mm -hmm. clearly still between these two guys. And does that change when you get older? Of course it does. But I think a lot of times those types of wounds don't heal, especially with the personalities that we're talking about here, until maybe after some time has passed. And I don't know if enough time will pass, but – yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough to see him in a Niners uniform. Fortunately, the Niners are so terrible that we haven't had to watch it very much <laughs> this season. But man, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting situation to say the least. Sherman gave a press conference
1: this week talking about facing the Seahawks. He was asked if he's been waiting to play Seattle.
0: Honestly, not really. Um, you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be good to, to get back there and, and, and see some old guys, some old faces. Uh, but it's football. You know, football is football. And go out there and, and do my job and try to help our team win the, win the ball game. So he kind of
1: plays it down a little bit, just says football is football. I'm just going to go out there, do my job, and try to win the ball game, and it's good to see some faces. I can't wait for the battles that he will have with Doug Baldwin in this game because if you talk about the personality that Sherman has, um, looking for ways to motivate himself with the chip on the shoulder, copy and paste that with Doug Baldwin as well. And now you're getting two friends, but – Certainly two players that I don't know if there's two players that want to beat each other more yeah. <laughs> or beat the faceless opponent more than Baldwin and Sherman. I guarantee you
0: that they will scuffle at some point in this game. It's gonna happen. Yeah. I mean it's it's that's the matchup that everyone's looking forward to, right? That's the storyline in this game. Are those really those two guys and, and then Russ, does, yeah. does Russ throw at yeah. him? You know? I mean can't the, wait. The, I know. That's can't wait. <laughs> That's the exciting storyline, and, and you're right. It's funny because those two have such a tremendous respect for each other, and they are friends, like very close friends. So it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic, and you see it sometimes in the NBA level when guys get traded. Here in the Northwest, right, Tim Frazier, Damian Lillard, we've seen kind of those guys go head-to-head since he was uh, traded to the Pelicans a while back or mm-hmm. signed there, What I can't remember if he was traded or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you see that in sports sometimes, and it's pretty cool to see the ultimate competitors come back and have to face each other. And we're talking about two of your better players at their respective positions in Seahawks franchise history as well, going head-to-head here. No question.
1: Uh, Sherman was also asked if there will be another Legion of Boom.
0: I have no idea. I don't think the league really wants that. Are cares to have that kind of thing again you know they they care more for offensive football so that's what they'll get to have a special defensive group to to play that well for so long i think it'd be very difficult to do you know because of the style of defense you have to play and the rules in which you have to play it most of those hits that cam enforced i mean most of those hits that most of us gave would get you kicked out of the game now
1: yeah he's probably not wrong i mean and i <laughs> one of the best hits that cam had was wrongly called a penalty on Vernon Davis there down the sideline. One of the more iconic moments. That would still
0: be a legal play.
1: You know, what's funny, though, is that the peak of Legion of Boom was them shutting down the most historic offense to date in NFL history. You know, I mean, 43-8, to like, is that type of thing able to be accomplished? Maybe, but it just
0: goes to show you how special that unit was. Well, here's the thing, though, again, and— you can't go on too long about this anymore because we talked about so much earlier, Judah, but the Legion of Boom can't be repeated because of the personalities that were in said Legion of Boom. You could have four great DBs in that backfield again, or maybe three and then one good one, but this still wouldn't be the Legion of Boom because the personalities are different. Maybe, it'll be call- maybe it would be called something else, but yeah, it's not going to be repeated. Sherman
1: said that he does not have a relationship with Russell Wilson. "Quote: I don't really have a relationship with Russell. We were teammates. We played through a very special time of the franchise.
0: Do we have a problem with that? D- do you? No. I I saw some people <laughs> no, getting don't. a little hurt about this. And of course, they're getting social in their feelings. Media. But I mean, look. I know that Baldwin and Sherman are friends, but people think like, okay, these guys are brothers, right? They're on the field together for all these years. Football, it's true, but football. I mean, there's 53 guys on a roster." You practice typically by, you know, different groups, right? Like defensive back group and, uh, you know, linemen and then defense and offense. And you're going against each other. And Richard Sherman is literally playing against Russell Wilson, right? Like trying to intercept him in practice and things like that. So, I don't know. Personally, I don't think it's a big deal. And not everyone is going to become super tight with the people they work with. Think about your own office building. Like think about 50 people in your office building. There's probably a handful that you go to lunch with. You hang out with outside of work. Right. You do extracurricular things with. And everyone else is like, hey, how's it going? How was your weekend? Fridays, am I right? Ha ha ha!" Like, that is the extent of your relationship. And it's probably the same way in a lot of ways in sports. I mean, you're traveling together, so you do have more camaraderie in that regard. But still, when you have that, it's not an NBA team with 12, 15 guys. We're talking about 50 guys on the roster. Yeah. Um-
1: you know, that's really, I only really wanted to talk about Richard Sherman for this, you know, matchup Seahawks and 49ers because i I, not really intrigued as much by the matchups on the field um, given the state of the two teams. That being said, did you, was there any game note theory that uh, jumped out at you or any matchups in particular you're looking at? I mean, to me, it's like, you know, you got to show up, you got to take care of business, and I just want a camera on Richard Sherman the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, this is—it's so funny because we we sound so confident and w- watch them somehow blow this. But you like, never know. I mean, a lot of people are, are referencing the Arizona game last year, like, hey, they can lose anyone. Arizona won eight games last year. They weren't a terrible team. Like, the Niners are god-awful, and Nick Mullins is their quarterback, who looks like he's in his first year of boot camp or something. I don't know. I— I, it, I agree. There's really nothing outside of the Richard Sherman v. Lockett v. Doug Baldwin versus Russell Wilson. That is more what I'm looking at. And, you know, if Russ scrambles in Richard Sherman's area, what happens there? He jukes him out of his shoes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I am just and obviously the big storyline for me, does the crowd boo him? Do they you know. cheer him? After the comments this week, you know, the more I've thought about it,
1: I think there will be some boos, and I don't think there should be, but they're too easy to give at this point. They're too easy. He's playing for the opponent, you know, he's runs his mouth and all this. So people with beer are gonna there's some are gonna boo him. It's it's harder to cheer for him now than it is to
0: boo. My guess is it's gonna be fifty percent cheer, thirty percent boo, twenty percent apathy. That's just my guess. There's, um, there's probably
1: going to be 25% just like looking around, what is everybody doing? Yeah, what's going on? Wait. And then there's going to be the guy that boos, and you're like, hey, man, it's like the best player.
0: <laughs> See off
1: defense history, shut up.
0: <laughs> and he's going to be like,
1: hey, do what I want.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I'm just like that, probably. I, I don't know. I think uh, I personally, I'm assuming you wouldn't boo him. No. Uh, I would. I either. have self-control. Sometime. I mean, I think that there's something to be said. Like before the game, you can cheer him, and then cheer against him during that. Like people, I think, oh, are yeah. thinking, well, if you cheer for him, you're you're rooting for him. It's like, no, I don't know. Pre-game, you're intro. respecting yeah. him as for what he did with the franchise. And yeah, you want Doug Baldwin to burn him. Like I want to see that. I want to see Richard Sherman get burned and like Russ to drop a dime on him. Yeah, know? absolutely. It's gonna happen. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. You got a prediction on this game? Uh, I didn't really think about it. Seattle wins by 10. 31-21. 31-21? No way. No, no way the Niners score 21 points. I'm going to say uh, 31-17. Not on this Legion of Boom defense. It's No way. No way. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, Seahawks
1: 31 and Niners. Yeah. Eh. I'll give them 16 points. Take care of the football and run the ball. You'll be just fine in this football game. By the way, J.D. McKissick got activated. He'll be the third down back replacing Mike Davis. All right, he's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll talk about it again Monday with Richard Sherman returning to Seattle. This is the Game Plan Podcast.